Imagine with me for a moment that today, after church, maybe on the way home or when you're at home just relaxing on the couch, you get a phone call and it's your parents, a family member or a friend, and they share with you that they were just diagnosed with a terminal illness, given six months to a year to live. Maybe you've gotten a call like that or you've received news like that before or you know someone who has. Maybe sometime this week, you and a coworker go out to lunch, and over the course of lunch, out of the blue, they just share with you that what you thought was their good marriage is actually on the brink of divorce. And they share with you how they're living apart, they're living two separate lives, there's no hope for the marriage, they don't have any hope. And that's, just, that's what they share over a lunch conversation. These type of things, these type of conversations happen. Maybe, maybe you know someone who's struggling financially. Maybe just work is slow right now. Maybe they just lost a job or were laid off. And they're not saying it, and they're not trying to show it, but you know that they're scared, and they're wondering how they're going to provide for their family and their children. Real life. Maybe you know someone who's struggling with an addiction. Maybe they're conquered by anxiety or fear or depression. And they struggle with it every day. And you see it. And you know what it is. They're not asking for help, but you know that they're drowning. They're struggling. And I want to ask us, church, are we prepared when that phone call happens? Because it's not if. It's when, when the phone call happens, when the conversation over lunch happens, when you're talking with family, when you're talking to a coworker, and they just throw something on you, and you know in that moment, as a Christian, you should do something. I want to ask us this morning, are we equipped to take God's Word in the midst of that circumstance, the midst of that emergency, to open it up and reveal to them what God says. That He speaks truth in that moment. That's what this sermon is about this morning. We're in week four of a five-week series of walking through the entire Bible. This morning we're going to be looking at the epistles, which are the letters. Letters to churches and letters individuals. But week one we looked at the Old Testament, which we titled The Mystery the mystery. In week two, we looked at the Gospels. They were all about the man, Jesus Christ. So we gave it that title, the man. In week three, we looked at the book of Acts, a transitional book that's all about movement, about the spread of the Gospel, the birth of the church. And now that the church has been birthed, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament was put away, those covenant and promises are being fulfilled in the New Testament, and through Jesus Christ, our prophet, priest, and king, we now have something totally new, totally different in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this new church, this new people are wondering, how do we do this? What do we do? And that's why we have the rest of the New Testament that teach us how to live out this Christian life. The epistles are the who, what, when, where, why, and most importantly, how do we live out this thing called Christianity? How do we become a Christ follower? The epistles provide answers for suffering in the midst of despair. 
They provide answers for bankruptcy, divorce, anxiety, addiction, jealousy. But it also addresses where we find hope, where we find joy and comfort in the midst of all things. Patience, kindness. Also, I want us to make sure that we see the Bible, that it doesn't just address big issues like marriage and divorce and changing your job and moving. I mean, those are big decisions, but our life, the majority of our life, 95% of our life is not about these decisions. It's about the everyday mundane decisions that we make, what we say, how we think, the decisions we make every day, how we talk to our spouse, how we talk to our children, how we communicate with coworkers. The Bible addresses all of those things as well. Addresses even simple questions. When you're out in town and you go into a store, can I afford to buy this? It's a question that the Bible gives answers to. Am I working too much or not enough? Should I listen to this song or turn that off? Should I watch this movie or not? The Bible is useful and practical for everything. Biblical counselor Jay Adams says that most Christians, if we know how to use our Bible at all, it's normally always in the context of relaxed study at home. What that means is when someone comes and they, and they just lay out this diagnosis or they lay out this marriage problem, we don't know how to handle that with take God's Word in the midst of that moment and to use it. We know how to go home and find some things and bring back to them But that's what this morning's sermon is about, for us to work through all 21 epistles and to find out what God's Word says in each one of these books so that we can have an understanding of how to use this as a tool that God has given us. Our former weapons, which were weak and useless, we now have a tool that God has given us that is powerful And is purposeful for all things. Imagine a soldier going into war. And before all they had was a knife or a pistol. But now they've been given something more incredible. A more powerful weapon. Well if if we don't know how to use it. We're going to throw it away. We're going to leave it at home. And that's what many times we do with God's word. We revert to Christianese type responses. To people in these situations. Right? I mean we know there's something the Bible says about it. But we don't want to take it out of context. So we say things like. I'm praying for you. Or we say things like, I know that that's really difficult. I'm here for you. Let us know if there's anything we can do. And those are good things and they're important things, but we can do more with God's word. We can come alongside them and speak truth from God in the midst of that circumstance. So don't just be a bystander in these situations. I want us to see we can actually be God's representative and share with them what God has to say. I want us to understand what God's Word is this morning. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is from God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training people in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Every good work. Complete. Lacking nothing is what the the Word of God brings into our life. I want us to turn to Galatians Chapter 6, verse 1 this morning, if you have a copy of God's Word. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This is going to lay the foundation for our study this morning as we work through the epistles. And this is a command to us. Galatians 6, verse 1. Galatians 6, 1. 
Galatians was an epistle written to the churches. And so since we're a church, it applies to us today. And it says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're going to work through this verse, and we're just going to keep it on the screen here for a moment as we work through, beginning in verse 1, the first word, brothers. Anytime the Bible speaks of brothers, this is talking about us, the church, brothers, sisters in Christ. So it's to all of us. It's a command to you, and it's a command to me. Brothers, if anyone is caught, I want us to look at that language. If anyone is caught, they might have gotten there on purpose. They might have gotten there on accident. It might have been their own decisions that led up to that. Many times we get ourselves in predicaments. Sometimes we fall into them. Sometimes they're not our fault. But this person says if anyone is caught, they might have got there themselves, but they want to get out. And if you're caught, you can't do it yourself. An animal that's caught in a trap needs help, right? So the Bible is saying if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, any addiction, any anxiety, any fear, any depression, any life circumstance, if they're caught, and then it goes on, you who are spiritual should restore them. What does that mean? Well, many times I think we take this word spiritual and we apply it to like top shelf Christians. Like if you're spiritual and you know God's word really well and you pray 10 hours a day and your job is to counsel people with God's word, then then you're spiritual. But that's not what the Bible says. That word spiritual just means if you have the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. So it's saying anyone who's a believer, it's your job, your job, and your job, and your job, and my job to restore this person. It's our job when we hear this news to take God's word and restore them. Well, how should we restore them? It says in a spirit of gentleness. 1 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power, the divine power, Jesus Christ, has granted to us things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. How? Through the knowledge, through God's word, of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. In God's word are His precious and very great promises. So that through them, through the promises, through the knowledge we have of God's word, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped. They were caught in transgression, but through the knowledge of God's word and the power of God's word and understanding the promises of God's word, the Bible says you can escape. So how does that apply to us? Well, that person who's talking with you about divorce or about their situation, and they're caught in something, or they're driven by a feeling that's not a godly feeling, we're called to take God's word and to show them what God says about their situation. That's what this morning is about. The Bible has to be useful, not just at church. This is not just a Sunday morning book. Amen, church? It's not just a Sunday morning book. You bring it on Sunday morning. Please bring your Bible on Sunday morning. But it's also an everyday book. Listen, 
you should keep your Bible with you all the time. I carry, I carry a backpack, and there's always a Bible in my backpack. Why? Because it's the Word of God that speaks truth into all situations. I know many times we say, well, I have it on my phone. Do you know how to use it on your phone? If, if someone over that lunch break shares with you, are you going to pull out your phone and use God's Word? That's what we need to be doing. Jay Adams, the biblical counselor, says one way to be effective in this is rather than us trying to memorize individual scriptures, which is great, but instead of doing that first, let's try to memorize where to actually find things in the Bible. Because if you know where to find them, you can just turn there and read through the entire passage. And it takes less memorization and it's more useful and practical. That's one of the purposes this morning. So we're going to work through all 21 epistles in the New Testament, giving a brief summary of what the book is about. Because if you understand what the book is about, and some of the things the book talks about to us as a church, and to us as individuals, you'll be able to take God's word, and whatever somebody's going through, you can say, hey, James talks about that. And you can turn to James, and you can find it. Or First Peter. First Peter talks about that. So you can turn to First Peter and find it. So let's go ahead and jump in. Try to make it really brief and summarized, there are two main types of epistles. And these are just letters. There's letters to churches, letters to individuals. The first 13 letters that we find in the New Testament, and I have a graph here for us, the first 13 letters that we find in the New Testament after Acts are all written by Paul. So Paul wrote first. The ones after that are written by other authors. So Paul wrote first. And they're actually broken down according to size, for the most part. You have Acts, but then you have Romans, and then they go down and they get smaller and smaller. But the the larger letters were written to churches. He had a lot to say to the churches. So he used a big brush and painted a lot and said a lot to churches. But as you go down, it begins to be written to individuals. And so we're going to work through from beginning to end, all the way down the epistles. Let's begin in Romans. If you want to turn to Romans, you can take notes maybe at the top of Romans, but that's where we'll start this morning. Romans was addressed to the Christian church in Rome. The book of Romans teaches some of the most difficult and deep doctrinal truths of the Christian faith. If you really want to be stretched and grown as a Christian and struggle with the deepest concepts and the deepest doctrines of the Christian faith, the book of Romans is where you can turn to. It's it's a summary of doctrine, a summary of Christian doctrine. Paul didn't mean it as that, but it's so inclusive and includes so much that you really you can look at the book of Romans and get a good understanding of sin, of the gospel, of justification by faith. You see the intricacies of salvation, the sovereignty of God in the book of Romans. So if you're interested or you're talking with somebody who they're a believer and they want to grow deeper, Romans is a great place. Don't go to Romans with a brand new believer to work through the entire book of Romans. There's some other places that that may be a little bit better for at that time. So let's move to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, this is written to the church in Corinth. And this church was a brand new church, they were facing a ton of sin problems. They were trying to live 
a good Christian life, but in a hugely secular society. Worse than our societies today, doing horrific sinful things. Here's Here's some problems that this church faced. And this letter addresses those problems. Listen to this. Many of the problems are things churches face today. Chapter 1, division in the church. Chapter 2 discusses wisdom. Chapter 5, church discipline and how to do it. Chapter 6, lawsuits among believers. Sexual sin in the church. Chapter 7, marriage and divorce. Chapter 8, Christian liberty. What we have the freedom to do and not do. The Lord's Supper is chapter 11. Famous chapter on love. Chapter 13, there's about Christian giving. In chapter 16, chances are, if you're in a church or you know of a church going through a problem, 1 Corinthians probably has the problem talked about in there. So turn to 1 Corinthians church. Or turn to 1 Corinthians first. Because the problem is listed probably in there. 2 Corinthians is one where Paul passionately defends his own ministry. Chapter 1. It's one of my favorite chapters. If someone in your life or you know someone who's going through something and they need to be comforted, they're going through suffering or they're going through persecution or they're just having a rough time in life, chapter 1 is a great chapter on someone who needs comfort in the midst of trials. And so write that down. If you're talking to somebody, chapter 1, 2 Corinthians, turn to that. Read through the whole thing and work through it with them. Chapter 2 is reconciliation. In 1 Corinthians, we saw a church member excommunicated from the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about how to receive that person back into the church. And that's actually what happened. Chapter 4. If you know someone who's in depression, and they're depressed, or anxiety, or have a lot of emotional fears going on, chapter 4 talks about how to avoid depression when under great stress. When under great times of trials, how to avoid depression. This is actually what they did and how God saw them through it. Chapter 6, someone who's dating. This is great pre-marriage device and dating advice. Chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians. Let's move to Galatians. Galatians is a great summary of the gospel. And so if you want to go through the gospel with somebody who's an unbeliever, or a brand new believer and you want to make sure they understand the basics, turn to Galatians and you can walk through the book of Galatians. Paul is combating legalism in Galatians. He affirms that we're justified by faith, not by our actions. And so if you're talking to somebody and they think that it's all about what they do and what they don't do and their relationship with God hinges on that, like if my good kind of outweighs my bad, like so popular today, Galatians is actually the whole letter was written to combat that type of thinking. And it talks about that. That it's not about what you've done and what you haven't done. It's all about God's grace. So turn to Galatians. As we've seen, Galatians 6 is a mandate for everyone to counsel others in the midst of trials. The book of Ephesians, turning to the next book. If you're following along, I know you're flipping through a lot of pages. But Ephesians teaches how the church was always God's plan A. It was always God's plan A, as I discussed last week. The church is about the Jews and the Gentiles brought together into one body. That's a major theme in the book of Ephesians. That both people are brought together in one body. And so it talks about 
that the church is the body of Jesus Christ. The church is the body. We're promised eternal security in Ephesians. And over and over again, it stresses the body. Clear commands are given for husbands and wives. This is a great passage if you're talking to somebody and there's some marriage problems going on. Ephesians chapters 4, chapters 5 talk about the husband and wife and their relationship and how that has to work out in order for the marriage to work. Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. Husbands and wives, how they relate to one another. It also talks about parents and children. Parents and children. How that has to work, that dynamic. Maybe you own a business. Ephesians talks about employers and employees and how those two things should work between believers. And so those are some things that we find in the book of Ephesians. Let's move to Philippians. The book of Philippians, this was written to the church. We're still in letters written to the churches, written to the church in Philippi. Paul loved this church. He doesn't have one thing bad to say about this church in this letter. So it's often called the book of love or the book of joy because Paul is just expressing his joy over this church. And it's a very encouraging book. So if you need encouragement or someone else needs encouragement in their life, Philippians is a great place. Just go to Philippians and read through Philippians. Now Paul was assuring this church that his imprisonment was actually part of God's plan. I mean, Paul was in prison when he was writing this letter, and the church was thinking, how can this be part of your plan? How can this be part of God's plan? You're in jail. And Paul is writing, saying all of this is for God's glory. He hasn't dropped the ball. This is part of his plan. Listen to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And remember, this is Paul in prison writing these things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's a commandment to rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So Paul's saying, listen, I know I'm in jail, but the Lord is at hand. And then he says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. And so, huge implications for that about what we think about and what we fixate on and how it transitions into our life. So, if you're struggling with anxiousness or worry, Philippians chapter 4 is a place to turn to. So, I hope you write that down when you're talking to somebody. Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, even in the midst of suffering, you can rejoice. The next book, let's turn to Colossians. Colossians. Try to remember Colossians and Ephesians together. They kind of sound similar in regards to their names. Colossians and Ephesians. Ephesians stresses the church as the body, right? The body of Jesus Christ. Colossians is the counterpart to that. Colossians stresses that the head of the church is Jesus Christ himself. So you have the body in Ephesians. Colossians teaches that the head is Jesus Christ himself, and he's supreme over all things. So this is a great book that talks about the supremacy and the greatness of Jesus Christ. First and second Thessalonians. I love how Pastor Mark Dever describes these two books. He says it this way. First and second Thessalonians are two of Paul's earliest letters. Apparently a number of people in Thessalonica 
had heard about Christ's second coming. And misunderstanding it, they had quit their jobs. Right? We've, we've seen this, Y2K and other things, where people think the Lord's coming back, so they quit their job, they give away all their money, and then it didn't happen. Right? So that's what happened. In the very first century, they quit their jobs. They were just hanging around, waiting for God to do something. So Paul writes to them and tells them to go get a job. That's literally what's in the Bible. Stop doing that. Go get a job and actually work heartily for the Lord. And so in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, this is where we read, if someone's not willing to work, don't let them eat. Right there, practical. For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but your busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So that's what Christians are called to do. So if you know someone who's struggling with that concept, or maybe taking advantage of that as a Christian, Thessalonians is a great place to turn to. Moving on, First and Second Timothy. This, these are actually addressed to individuals. Now, Timothy was a young church leader, and so this is written to an individual. So we should read this with a little bit different lenses. It wasn't written to a church, written to individual. We get, still get things out of it, but it's not a direct commandment to some of us as it would be to others, such as pastors and leaders. Paul instructs Timothy in the duty of a pastor and encourages him in the work of ministry. Timothy, First and Second Timothy, are all about the organization and the governing of a church. We're given a list of qualifications for pastors as well as deacons in Timothy. And I want us to see there, this is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to look at it, that if you look at the qualifications of deacons and elders, it's never really on their giftings or their experience or their skills. It's actually on their lifestyle, how they live their life, how they treat their spouse, how they treat their kids. And so it's about lifestyle. And so that's often what leaders are supposed to be in a church, is don't look at how good they preach. Don't look at this or how good they talk about this thing. Actually look at what they're doing with their wife and their kids and how they're raising them. And are they in a godly home? In Titus, we see also a similar letter, but it's, it's an encouragement to Titus to perform his duties as a pastor. We again see a list of qualifications for church leaders. But a major theme in Titus is the link between faith and actually behavior. Saying actually what you said you were going to do. For instance, in chapter 2, we see it says this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So it says to teach the right things. But then, right after that command in verse 7, it says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And your teaching show integrity. And then it says, so that your sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, not having anything evil to say about us. So it says, teach good things, but then it says, by the way, live out those good things that you are teaching. Next book, if you want to turn to Philemon. The book of Philemon is an individual letter written to a slave owner. And it's a short note from Paul in which he rejoices over the conversion of a slave named Onesimus. And here we see Paul gently plead for Philemon to release Onesimus. 
So up to this point, all the letters that we've gone through have been written by the Apostle Paul. The following nine letters all have differing authors from Paul. They're all uh, around the same length in regards to those written to churches are bigger, and those written to individuals are smaller. And so again, it starts out with the largest book working down to smaller books. So we come to the book of Hebrews. We don't know the author of Hebrews. It's not stated in the beginning of the book, as most other New Testament books are. But if you want a summary of the Old Testament and the New Testament and how those two things work together, the book of Hebrews is the place to turn to. It talks about the Old Testament covenants and it talks about the New Testament that we have in Jesus Christ. And so one of the main themes of the book of Hebrews is what we have in Jesus Christ now is far greater than what was given in the Old Testament. And so there were some Jews at that time and some new Christians who they got this Jesus Christ thing and he's our priest and prophet and all these other things and they're, they're excited about that. But then they're like, well, what about this Old Testament thing? Can't I just, can't I just throw in a little sacrifice? Or, or maybe we should accept Jesus Christ but still perform circumcision. And so there's all these things that they were reaching back to. And the book of Hebrews says, no, what we have in Jesus Christ is far greater than those things. And so Jesus Christ has fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. That's why in my last two sermons, if you recall, I, I used Hebrews a lot when I talked about Acts, that the church was all the way back in Old Testament. And that also Jesus Christ was all the way back in the Old Testament. And that that was the fulfillment of all these things. Here's a couple of key verses in Hebrews. You can hear, you can hear it reaching into the New Testament and reaching into the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. In the past, Old Testament, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made our universe. Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Old Testament language applied to new, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So Hebrews compares Old Testament and New Testament. If you want a summary of that, turn to the book of Hebrews. Going to the next book, the book of James. James is a very practical book. And so a lot of people throughout history have even struggled with the book of James because it's so practical. It's not very deep theologically. James says, listen, to live a Christian life, stop doing this and start doing this. I mean, it's, it's pretty basic. And so James gives a lot of information about wisdom, doubt, anger, temptation, jealousy, judging, grumbling, and so much more. Here's a few examples. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces development or produces perseverance. James 1:19 Take note of this everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. It just lays it out there. It doesn't say how you necessarily do that. It just says you should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. James 1:22 says you should be doers of God's word, not just hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Example, how do we use the book of James? Well, let's say that there's somebody in your life and they say they're a Christian, but they're not living like a Christian. 
The book of James gives a lot of information about that. Let's say you have a friend and they're saying that they're a Christian, but some of their attitudes or actions aren't necessarily lining up with what God says. Remember, you have to come alongside of them gently. Galatians 6.1, gently come alongside of them. They're trapped, they're caught in a transgression. And you who are spiritual, me, should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So James is a book that we can come alongside and use them, use that for. So now we're going to be in First and Second Peter. First and Second Peter. These books call believers to live Christ-like lives with various warnings. And it also gives some predictions that are about to happen. And these two books are so relevant to the church today for so many reasons. They were written to Christians who were beginning to experience trials and temptations and persecution because they were Christians. And they didn't understand it. They thought, hey, I, I just became a Christian. I thought life was supposed to get better now. I mean, and this is, this is many times what we believe in America. We become a Christian. We think life's going to get easier. It's going to get better. And, and Peter responds by saying, no, you, you missed it. Look at, look at Jesus Christ. His life didn't get better. I mean, look how his life ended. And so this is a book that shares some of these things about trusting and obeying God, even in the midst of bad situations and circumstances. Chapters 4 and 5 are about persevering in the midst of suffering. Think about that. They believe the sovereignty of God, God's in control of all things, but to persevere and to have joy in the midst of the bad things in life. So if you're presented with a situation where someone's going through a hard time, they're oppressed, they're persecuted or suffering... 1 Peter chapters 4 and 5 is a great place to turn to. Listen to this verse in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Have you ever thought about that? Let those who suffer according to God's will. Are you saying that sometimes it's according to God's will that Christians are going through bad times? Well, that's what Peter was telling these Christians. Is it's according to God's will you're going through these things. But in the midst of that, it says, according to God's will, entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. That if you're continuing to do what's right, it says it's better to be persecuted for doing right than going and doing wrong. And so, that's what Peter is about. Second Peter is also very important for us today. Because it warns the dangers of coming false teachers. So Peter was saying, hey, false teachers are going to come into the church. And you need to be ready. And he affirms that we need to trust in God's word alone. Nothing else. God's word. That's what he was pointing to. An incredible set of verses. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. I want us to turn there this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. He says this to the church and to us, for we did not know, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, 
This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter is talking about events he witnessed personally. He was there and heard the voice of God confirm these things about Jesus Christ. So that's what he's talking about. But look in verse 19. But we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So Peter's saying, these are experiences that I went through, things I witnessed, but more than that, more than that, we have the word of God more fully confirmed. What does that mean? What is he comparing? He's saying the word of God in his life is more fully confirmed. He can trust the word of God more than he could trust his own experiences. And so Peter is addressing the danger of experientialism. And this is something you need to be careful of, church. Because in the church today and in the world today, everybody's about experience. The Christians, so many Christians are about experience. Experiencing manifestations, supernatural experiences, miracles, Holy Spirit fillings, speaking in tongues, words from the Lord. They're about those experiences. And Peter's saying, if it doesn't line up with what the Word of God says, don't listen to it. Peter said his own experiences that the Word of God trumped. And listen, his experiences were with Jesus Christ himself and hearing the voice of God. And he said, we have more fully confirmed than that the Word of God. And so that's how we need to see the Word of God in our life, is that if it doesn't line up with Scripture, don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. That's what Second Peter is about. Let's move to 1 John. 1 John, we know the Gospel of John was written to unbelievers, right? So if you're talking to an unbeliever, you turn to the Gospel of John. But 1 John, in the epistles, is actually written to believers. And it's given to us so that we can help others who may be questioning their salvation. It's all about how we can know we are saved and how. 1 John 5.13, a key verse in this book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This is not maybe, maybe I'm saved, maybe I'm not. No, 1 John says this is how we know we are saved. Because saved people don't do these things. And unsaved people do these things. That's what the book of 1 John is about. 2 John warns a converted woman in the church again against false teachers. 3 John is a letter praising hospitality among believers in the church. Speaking of hospitality this morning, this past week I had a church member email me and said, hey, I was thinking last week when you talked about the church, how we should get here early and maybe hang around, getting to know people. She makes cakes for a living, incredible, amazing things with sugar. That's what her job is. And so she said, hey, maybe I could make cupcakes for people to hang around after the service, and, and they could hang around and talk. Maybe that, would, maybe that would help. And then she wrote, but I know we want people to stay around for the right reasons, so it's up to you. To which I responded, I'm not against manipulation with cupcakes. <laughs> and I don't think we will be either. So today after the service, there is about 120 cupcakes right outside, ready for us to eat. And so I encourage, after the service, grab a cupcake. I, I know that you never eat sweets before lunch, 
or any other time in your life, but this is one exception when you can do it. Grab a cupcake, hang around, get to know some people. But this is a great example of hospitality in the church. And this is exactly what 3 John was referencing. The last book, Jude. Jude kind of goes back to what 2 Peter talked about. 2 Peter said, look, false teachers were coming. They were coming into the church. And Jude says, the false teachers have arrived. That's what the whole book is about. In Jude 3, he said, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write to you and urge you to contend for the faith because false teachers had now entered into the church. And so that's why we need to be careful today, church, because false teachers were in the church back then and they're in the church today as well. In closing, I want to remind us, church, that that person who called you, maybe later today, maybe next week, maybe a month from now, that person who calls with that medical diagnosis, in that moment, you need to see that they don't need more scans. They don't need more tests. They don't need a better doctor. What they need is you to take God's word and share with them the comfort and the hope that we can have in Jesus Christ. That's what they need in that moment. The person who over lunch is sharing with you that their marriage is in trouble, they need for you to be so well equipped with God's word that you can share with them the only life-giving, hope-sharing message that can speak truth into their marriage. That's what they need. And they're talking to you. They don't need a divorce attorney. They don't need a hobby. They don't need a fun night on the town. They need you to speak with them the word of God. The person who's struggling financially, they don't need a financial counselor. They don't need your money. They need you to share with them what God says. And that if they're his child, that he comes alongside of them. He provides for them. He meets their needs. And are you going to share that with them? That's why we've worked through all these epistles. is to just kind of whet our appetite so that we may begin to see what's in them and how to help people. We need to be able to share these things. Someone who's struggling. Because Galatians 6 says, it's your job. It's my job. Look around, church. I want you to take a moment. I want you to look to your left and look to your right and look behind you. And I want us to see that this is the church. Scripture talks about that we should have a love for all people, but then it says this, especially for those in the household of God. What does that mean? That means the people to your left and your right in front of you, that we're the family of God. And that we should first be doing this with one another. We should be speaking truth into one another's lives. Which means we first have to be in relationship for others to be able to speak truth. Listen, all of you, including myself, are messed up. And you don't know that you're messed up, and I don't know where I'm messed up, but all of you see my mistakes, right? And I see yours. And that's the way God has this whole thing. So if we want to grow, we get into relationship where we share with other people and say, hey, whatever you see that's wrong in me, please share it with me because I want to glorify God with my life. And it's not going to hurt my feelings because, you know why it's not going to hurt my feelings? Because I know I'm messed up. That's the, that's the whole thing. I know I have problems and God's working on my problems, but he's put me in the context of a church. So I have brothers and sisters who can see that I'm caught in a sin or I'm caught in a transgression and they can come alongside of me. 
So that's why we have cupcakes after the service, so that you could see other people and begin to get involved in their lives. Church, I pray that we understand the power of God's Word, that He calls us to get involved in each other's lives, and that we can use God's Word in a way that honors Him and speaks truth into those who God has placed in front of you. When these type of things happen, and they will, I want you to remember God has this person in front of you. Don't send them down the road to somebody else. God has them talking to you, a believer who has the Spirit. So let's use God's Word to bring Him praise. Would you pray with me as we close? God, we thank you for giving us your Word. God, your Word is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. And it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. God, may we use your word in a way that honors you and glorifies you. God, I know we've gone through a lot of information this morning, all 21 epistles. I pray that it just may be the start of people learning what these books are about, what's in them. And so when they face a situation this week, a month from now, or a year from now, they can remember, I know where to find the answer to that. And that family member, that spouse, that friend, God, I pray that we can speak your truth into their lives in a way that glorifies you and helps bear their burdens and bring them out of whatever transgression they may be in. God, we give you praise that we can be a church and that we can fulfill these things amongst one another. I pray for the conversations that happen after this and the relationships that are built, even eating cupcakes. God, we give you praise for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.